our new bestie has changed how we track our investments. Why have over 400,000 investors chosen ShareSite? It's simple. This online investment dashboard for your investment portfolio supports over 500,000 stocks, ETFs, and funds, plus integrated with more than 200 platforms, ensures your entire investment portfolio is organized and accessible in one place. Move beyond the limited insights from brokerage statements. ShareSite offers a comprehensive view of your financial performance, including analyzed reports, dividend gains, and the impact of currency fluctuations, all through intuitive graphs and visualizations. But here's the best part. For the investee besties out there, ShareSite is offering a special deal. Save four months when you purchase an annual premium plan. It's time to dive deep into performance metrics, streamline tax reporting, and share your portfolio with ease. Join the link in the episode description to sign up to ShareSite now and transform your investment experience. Welcome to Your Zen Best. You're joined today by your host, Sam and Sonia, two millennial investors who are here to help you learn about all things investing and personal finance. We're super excited today to have Rowan Jacobson on the show, founder of Sabin. Sabin is a leading luxury accessories brand designed right here in New Zealand. It was named after Rowan's grandmother, Sarah Sabin, and it was founded back in 2002. Get ready to chat all things business, motherhood, and what Rowan's first experience was like in the stock market. First of all, thank you so much for joining us today. We are very excited to have you and to speak to quite literally the founder of a very amazing company is um, always a pleasure, but it didn't start out particularly as a huge company. At some point, you know, back in 2002, you actually began this through your parents' garage. Do you mind telling us a little bit about that? Yeah, um, absolutely. Even before um, moving into my parents' garage, I was living in New York, working in bars and trying to save my tips and be an artist. That was where I thought my life was leading. I was a painter, but with all my sort of leftover money, I'd buy, you know, when I wanted to buy something special, I'd buy bags. And um, I became somewhat of a connoisseur and um, a bag lady, if you will. Um, But there was always something amiss, like either the bag was absolutely beautiful, but would only fit my lipstick, or it was really, really functional, but looked functional. I just wanted something in between that looked like I had made an effort, but still carried what I needed to carry. With that kind of spark of an idea in mind, I came home and yeah, got to work in my parents' garage. <laughs> so yeah, it was it was a slow start. I invested what I had saved working overseas and I worked part-time, or in fact I worked full-time for somebody else and then it was my side hustle for quite a while and then um, sort of, you know, dropped hours as it started to sort of need more time invested. And yeah, it got to the point where then I was doing it and only doing uh, Sabin. So it was a slow start, but um, I think that's a bit of my my personality as well in terms of I'm a bit risk averse. So um, it was slow and steady. So you basically coined side hustles before they were quite side hustles in that time. I think when you're young and you have you know, if you've got support, that's awesome. If you can, you know, you can give it a hundred percent of your energy, but if you uh, need to pay bills and like enjoy going out for coffee, then you need to be bringing in the money somehow. 
And particularly with my industry, it is a really slow build building a brand, getting recognition for what you do and making people aware of aware of it is it's slow so unless you have a huge amount of money to throw at it you did kind of touch about being in new york before all of this what sort of made you jump ship to to go overseas and you know do something that i think a lot of us want to do but are maybe scared to do every generation in my family has called us a different country home for as i don't even know i like for, for as long as i can we can track travel has always been something that i am was very familiar and comfortable with my parents called South Africa home and so every summer we would go and visit the grandparents and um, spend the entire summer there so it wasn't daunting the idea of travel to me and as soon as I could I was sort of on a plane trying to you know open my eyes to the world. Would you say that you know some people have this misconception that to be financially well off, like you shouldn't travel, you shouldn't enjoy things early on, you should hustle and work hard and then do it later. But it sounds like you were able to kind of do both and, and have the best of both worlds where you could travel. And then when you decided it was time to start the side hustle and, and take a, you know, a, a pint at it, that it worked out really well. Would you disagree with the idea that you shouldn't enjoy your youth and you shouldn't, you know, go out and do things and that you should leave them till later? It really depends on the person. When I look at my kids who are now 16 and 14 and, you know, they're trying to work out what they want to do and whether they'll take a gap year and, you know, after school. And I think that some people need that distance. Some people need the resting the eyes from education for a bit and seeing what else, you know, seeing a different type of education. I was definitely that person who needed to educate myself without the traditional confines of the university. I don't know if there's a right or a wrong way to do it. I think you just have to stick to what feels right for you. I don't think I'll even preach to my kids as to what, you know, whether they should hurry up and get a career or, you know, start start whatever they want to start. There's a lot to learn out in the big wide world. I did actually start my business to get home though. I knew I needed a reason to come home. Part of that spark of an idea was that I was thinking about and trying to find that idea that would bring me home. So I guess there was also that. So I wanted to talk about you, you mentioning that you've got, you know, two children and with this big brand that you've built, it is, you know, it's done so many amazing things. It's very well recognized. It's very high quality, but with all intents and purposes, it's become very successful. Do you find that because you are a mother, people bring up questions or ask things around, you know, how is it being a working mom or how is it being able to juggle things? Do you feel like you get those kind of comments a lot or do you think people have started to learn that they're not mutually exclusive? You know, for as many people as I talked to when I was pregnant and I talked to a lot of people, sort of trying to gauge what my life would look like post giving birth to my first child. You know, every anecdote, every story I heard felt false when it came to my experience. I think that those questions and that curiosity is literally because it's such a topic that is so different for every single person that the more stories people can read, the more they feel prepared and yeah, I think that that's kind of the only way you can face that change, that ginormous change in your life, if you are trying to juggle 
running and owning a business and yeah having children when you say it was different to what you experienced what do you mean by that was it better than you expected or or perhaps more challenging everyone I spoke to said you know it's fine you just need to be a bit more flexible you'll be fine all very sort of rah 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 cheerleader type I, I don't know you know every business is different and every child is different. So my business required travel. It required very long days. It, I, I, at that stage, it was just me and one other staff member. So I landed on my lap and I couldn't delegate that much. It was a very different experience to, the, to those who I you know, thought I was talking to that would have a similar experience. My child, as lovely as he was, he wouldn't feed when I was having meetings. So I would I would feed him and you know, whenever he was hungry, I'd be in a meeting and, and he would stop sucking when <laughs> I talked. Oh, I can't feed him and work at the same time. So I have to set myself like I need to take that time away from my desk. So that was you know one thing. And then he would sleep in the office and so as soon as we would tape up a box, you know, of bags, he would wake up. <laughs> You know, I had the most amazing support network. I had both my mother and my mother-in-law around. You know, I had my husband. I had so much support and yet it was incredibly hard and a real juggle. So I I never try and sugarcoat that. I just, you know, a lot of people sugarcoated it for me. I don't think it should be sugarcoated. It's hard. But nothing worth having isn't hard. You know what I mean? You know, I look back now and I think that was a struggle, but um, I'm so glad I did it. I think that is so honest and I'm so appreciative that you have been comfortable to share that with us because I think we experience very similar sentiments around, you know, the people around us. If anyone listening at home thinks about it, everyone does say, you know, you'll be fine, go ahead, do it. It's, it's you know, all roses and happiness. And I think we're not really being given the full story and someone might hear this and go you know what now that I know this I actually do still want to go ahead and I'm actually more prepared and better off as opposed to going ahead with maybe not the full picture and it's just really interesting because I'm never a big fan of the idea of asking women you know childhood or working and which one is better and which one you should do but so many of us you know, will be working and having children. And it's just a disservice, I think, to women when we don't talk about these issues or we don't at least speak the truth of, of what we've been experiencing. Yeah. And every experience is different. You know, mine was mine and yours will be yours. And I think every, what's really important and what I found really life-saving was just setting those, like those non-negotiables where, you know, I will pick my kids up from school every day. I will make that time to reach them every night. I will, you know, I will make sure I'm there for bath time in the evening. They're the things that your kids are going to remember. There's so much guilt around trying to do both. Uh, there still is a huge amount of guilt, you know, having childcare, paying for childcare <laughs> so that you can work. Some people have a choice. Some people don't have a choice. Whether you do or don't, there's still, there's still a huge amount of guilt. So to get into the business side of things, you started, you know, the company back in 2002. And it's interesting because you have those initial ideas and some people will launch a collection and then after one collection, they're kind of done. How, how do you get inspired and how do you keep coming out with new like collections for Sabin? I'm really inspired 
inspired by customers. All I needed to do was listen. I love being in store. I love listen, I love, love talking to my clients. And I think that there is something that is you can glean so much from just listening. We have this joke every time a collection, the samples arrive and my my um, my merchandise manager and I sit there down down and it's like and she goes you know you've got seven options there and we need it to, we need to cut it down to three what gets taken out what what isn't you know isn't perfect there's a real skill in understanding what your customer wants and delivering it to them with your own slant own perspective you know a lot of the things that I produce and I um, well, in fact everything. I produce, I want. It is purely driven by this is what I need in my wardrobe right now. We know how much um, Sabin cares about sustainability and you're pretty vocal about that as well. Do you think every company should be prioritizing this in their business ethos nowadays? Out of doubt. Businesses who aren't addressing sustainability practices will be left out in the cold. We've been practicing sustainability before there was a word sustainability <laughs> you know, um, we've never overproduced we've always made literally just what we need I can frustrate our customers a bit when we you know we sell out we haven't built a business so that we have a whole lot of stock that we have to sail off yeah I think originally we, we produced everything in New Zealand we um, our headquarters were just down the road I mean as the business has grown we've we've had to move our production offshore but we still work with really um, small family run businesses over there that we visit well we used to visit every three months and you know we would be sitting talking to our our team and trying to work out like better ways of doing things and if you enjoy problem solving which I do it's always a challenge like you know you look at something you're doing a business practice you're doing and you may not have questioned it yet and all of a sudden you're like actually why haven't we questioned it let's work out how to do it better it's a journey and every everything you touch needs to be considered. When I talk about the design of my bag, we design with intent and that's a much broader broader topic for us. We design with intent with with every aspect of our business. I feel like it's almost performative. Sometimes companies just pop in that word into like proposals or like their mission statement just to say it. Did you face any hardships when you were prioritizing that at the start? I can't say I I did, but only because everything we were doing was we were reinventing the wheel. So there was nothing. I didn't study fashion. I didn't learn from a fashion business how to do what I do. So, you know, reinventing the wheel means you're, you're when you're doing it for the very first time, you, you know, you're, you're doing it the way you think it should be done and you're prioritizing what you find important it was just part of the business in terms of problem solving like any any sort of business problem solves we just happen to kind of go well how do we do that and not you know do it well that we can be proud of the next few questions they're getting into more of the investing side of things so do you invest in the stock market first of all (laughs) i don't no i don't I am looking at doing it, but I, I, I've got a story about that, which, um, yeah, my first experience with the stock market didn't end well. <laughs> oh, no, no. Do tell us. <laughs> well, I got an inheritance. My grandmother um, handed me a little bit of money and um, my mother was like, well, we need to put it somewhere that it's going to do something and grow. It went up and up and up and then it started crashing. <laughs> And I think in 2003, uh, my husband, my now husband and I decided we were going to buy a house together. 
and um, I took the money, what was left of it, out. And um, it was a real kind of like, ugh, <laughs> well, that's a kick in the guts. <laughs> that is really interesting. Would you say, like looking back, would you have any advice for someone who was thinking of jumping in but had those same fears? Do you think there could have been, you know, something that could have been looked out for or were there any warning signs or was it just, you know, you you really didn't expect this to happen and it was just, you know, one of those situations? I think there is so much more education now and it's more available. There were no podcasts for me to listen to when I was putting my money into the stock market. I was very alone and and even kind of the reporting that was done didn't educate me in terms of why things were going up or what was, you know, what or why things were coming down. So I felt very much just an outsider looking at looking at it rather than someone who was actively involved. I think that the environment is very different now. I think it's interesting that you mentioned that because a lot For business owners, every transaction is more than just a swipe of the card. It's the culmination of your hard work, dedication, and commitment to your customers. That's why I'm excited to share with you a game-changing solution that's simplifying the way businesses like yours accept payments. Introducing Tap to Pay on iPhone, powered by Stripe. Contactless payments has never been easier. You can seamlessly accept contactless payments directly from your iPhone and the best part, there's no additional hardware required. Think about it, from local pop-ups to global retailers, tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe cater to businesses of all sizes, empowering them to accept payments right from their iPhones. It's a game changer for businesses looking to scale quickly and stay flexible with quick setup that takes minutes, not days. So how can tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe benefit your business? It's simple, increased revenue, expanded reach and enhanced customer experience. It's a win, win, win. To learn more about how tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe can transform your business, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone today. A lot of people listening in have probably grown up with a little bit more accessibility. With the internet in general, everything is more accessible. You don't have to go into a library and read a book to understand a new topic. And it just honestly brings up the whole issue around lack of education and a lot of, you know, let's just trust this person to do the thing. They're not providing me with the value of education about where they're putting it, why they're putting it, what I should expect from them. And honestly, I do not blame you for not wanting to jump back in after an experience like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what's interesting is that, you know, as, as I, um, I talked about my son who's 16, you know, his birthday wish was money to invest in the stock market. So, you know, the fact that at 16, I wouldn't even have known the stock market existed. (laughs) So things have changed. You know, I think you're right. It's like, there's an opportunity there for education and for education to be so much more accessible. And yeah, I think it's great. I think it's a good change. I completely agree with you. So my younger brother is 17, 18. And when I was talking to him about the stock market, he was like, oh, yes, my friends, they're talking about investing in Tesla. And I was like, when me and Sonia were 17, we were not talking about shares. It's completely changed. But for the better, I would say, you know, more education, 
yeah, more education, more people can decide for themselves and know what to expect of advisors. I think there's some great advisors out there, but in any profession, I think there's also some people that enjoy holding some information from you and kind of hoping that you leave them alone and, and let them kind of just do their thing. Yeah. I mean, I guess when when I talk about um, investment, Sabin was my investment for many years. I invested everything into Sabin. I barely took any money out. Literally everything I earned went back in. There were years, too many to count. You know, what, what I took out was just enough to pay the bills and to buy some food. So I consider that Sabin was my very first investment and it paid off, which is, you know, I was able to, I was able to draw a salary many years down the track. <laughs> so that was, you know, but it's, um, it was definitely, I was in a very privileged position to be able to do that as well. Of course, I didn't have children. I didn't have the responsibilities. So I could invest everything, every cent that I made back into it. Gosh, I wouldn't know how you do it, you know, these days, but yeah, other than Sabin, my, our other investments has been, has been property, but we've, only ever had our the home that we've lived in as sort of the investment yeah definitely something I'd love to do in the future yeah because you mentioned you were also wanting to get into the stock market now that there's like more resources out there did you have kind of a plan with how you'd get into it or how you'd start breaking it down for yourself listening to your podcast (laughs) (laughs) yeah I think I've been my eyes have been open through watching my son so looking at that, we have a, a friend who's um, doing something pretty remarkable with in the technology sector. So we've invested in his business. And yeah, it's just it's just sort of getting an idea as to, I think for me, I, I'm definitely the kind of person who I want to know more about the business before I start, you know, putting money, my own hard-earned cash into it. So it is... Uh, something that I'm sort of I'm researching at the moment trying to work out how I what would make how I would do it and how I would do it in a comfortable way I love that I love that because there's like no pressure like you can do everything in your own time and I think that just helps with learning what would your advice be to budding entrepreneurs in the fashion space well I guess um starting a business is daunting no matter what what you're doing and there's a lot to do I would say set yourself milestones you know Rome wasn't built in a day so your business won't be either (laughs) I would say that you're going to get knocked down that's just what happens so dust yourself off and get back up as fast as you can you know stop by your friends for a glass of wine on the way maybe the more no's you get the closer you are to some big yeses so just keep you know ignore the no's (laughs) keep going listen to your customers, hire your weaknesses. That's a good one. Yeah. I listened to a really cool, another podcast, which um, is How I Built This. That's quite a good one. Talking about sort of business successes and and the failures and, and how we can learn as much from a fail as we do from a win and sometimes more. It's a good podcast. I love listening to how other people built their brands. It just gives you a, a really realistic view of you know, you see the successes all the time. You see, like with Sabin, you see this beautiful brand. You go into the stores. It's so lovely. The ambiance is, you know, it's, it's a very specific kind of vibe that you get and you kind of just assume it's always been like this. And so it's just so eye-opening to hear, you know, your experiences and that quote that you said about 
you know, a lot of no's, meaning that you're close to some big yeses. That is a really good takeaway from this. Thank you so much for jumping on and, and for sharing and being so candid about a lot of things today. And I think it's very honest to say that, you know, you haven't had the best experience with the stock market in the past and kind of diving into what that case may be and, and why that happened. And honestly, just so many great nuggets to take away from this episode. And as always, to finish off with our disclaimer, Girls That Invest does not provide personalized investing advice for your individual needs. We are not financial advisors. The advice from Girls That Invest exists for educational purposes only and should not be relied upon to make an investment or financial decision. Advice from Girls That Invest is general in nature and does not consider individual circumstances. Always do your research and please use your due diligence. Alrighty, till next time team. Bye.